is Kevin Mock, and you're listening to Chuck vs. the Podcast. You were about to enter Chuck vs. the Podcast, the place for people who love Chuck and the people who work on Chuck. The only show that takes you behind the scenes with the stars. Yvonne Strahovski. Zachary Levi. Joshua Gomez. Ryan McPartland. Adam Baldwin. Sarah Lancaster. Interactive interviews. Julia Lane. Phil Clemmer. All the cast. Dixon High. Tony Hale. Scott Krinsky. Mark Christopher Lawrence. Anita Figueresi. Fun hosts. This is Mel. This is Liz. Now you can see how wacko we are. The writers. Ali Adler. Scott Rosenbaum. Zev Farrow. The editors. Matt Barber. Jeff Granville. Kevin Mock. Contests. We are giving away a Chuck press kit. The directors. Jason Lindsay. Norman Buckley. The guest stars. Steve Austin. Kristen Griff. The music. This is Tim Jones. Guest hosts. I'm Kaylee from Toronto. Conventions. Lights come up and here comes Jeffster out on stage. Set visits. This is the guy right here. And much more. Are you ready? This is great. This is Mel. This is Liz. And we want to welcome you to Chuck versus the Podcast, episode 45, for Friday, March 26th, 2010. We're so excited that today we finally get to bring you my interview with editor Kevin Mock. It's especially exciting because that means that we've now talked to all three of the editors from Chuck. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. But first, we're going to give you lots of news and even lots of listener emails this week. So that's going to be pretty cool. Let's get straight to the news. We've got the ratings for this last episode, Check versus the Final Exam, and they're pretty much the same as the previous weeks, which isn't necessarily a good thing. The uh, demo came in at 1.9 again, which is exactly the same as last week, and the total viewers, well, this is the fast overnights, but approximately 5.43 million viewers tuned in to see Chuck take his red test. Um, just a note here that this was up against the Dancing with the Stars season premiere, which happened to draw the highest ratings in that time slot for ABC since 2001, which was a Rose Bowl game. And prior to that, um, I believe it was May 2000 that they had ratings similar to what uh, Dancing with the Stars pulled in. So a big night for ABC, not mm-hmm. such a good night for Chuck. Yeah, yeah, it was such well. a big night for ABC that they're sucker punching their own show. They were going to have V reruns on Saturday night, and they've actually yanked that so they can do another rerun of Dancing with the Stars on Saturday really? night. Really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they're milking that. Isn't that called cannibalism? That's what it is. That's <laughs> what I was looking for. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, Dancing with the Stars is a juggernaut. Um, I don't know. I don't I, think anybody expected them to come out of the gate like that, though. Um, my, my mom, though, had actually heard of most of the people on this cycle. Mm-hmm. So that was that was a surprising well, I mean, uh, House House was pretty smart. House did a rerun that night, mm-hmm. um, so they could at least blame the low numbers on a rerun. Yeah, if only we thought of that. Chickens. <laughs> it is what it is. Um, I I think that uh, uh, Chuck has gotten maybe a little dark in the last couple of episodes, and and we'll talk about that a little bit later in the episode. But um, there's no reason not to watch Chuck. Uh, there's some great episodes coming and so please 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 urge all your friends to keep the faith and keep watching That's Chuck. Right. We, we need at least a 2.0 1.9 is just oh, as soon as it gets below 2 all of a sudden it becomes a completely different ball game and that really doesn't rep- represent that many more viewers so 2.0 2.1 let's get there next week. We can do it guys. Yeah. Sure. There's, there's still a lot to be excited about for sure 
So anyway, um, we had several Chuck-related interviews hit just before this week's episode aired, including two from Fix a High, uh, which are always enjoyable, uh, one from Chris Fedak, and some spoilery stuff from Josh Schwartz, which we'll talk about later. Um, you can find all of those at chucktv.net. Mm-hmm. And I want to say a big congratulations to Zachary Levi and to Yvonne Strahovski because Kristen at E! Online had a top TV couple contest and our very own Chuck and Sarah won the top TV couple. Um, very good. I want to read a bit from her, her site. She said that uh, millions of votes were cast over the past few weeks in the first ever tournament style top, top TV couple mega poll. And one thing is clear. You fans of Chuck are unfreaking stoppable. And we, we know that, but it's nice, nice to be reminded. Um, and in the end, uh, Chuck, the Chuck lovebirds were able to best Friends classic Ross and Rachel 59 to 41%. So wow. congratulations again. And that actually brings us to our listener emails because we had actually had a few listener emails coming in this week talking about theories. Um, about uh, the ratings and where Chuck is heading. And a number of them did talk about this special couple. So I'm going to go into our listener emails now and start with one from Greg. Uh, I just wanted to say I really enjoy your work with the podcasts and the All About Chuck discussions. I really enjoy the way y'all handle spoilers as well. Y'all are much more realistic and truthful with your spoilers discussions. For example, there was one spoiler an announcement from FanCast Let's just say that in next week's episode, Chuck brings up up with Sarah that fateful train station rendezvous in Prague. Q Waterworks. Chuck versus the final exam. My expectations ran amok, thinking that we were at long last to finally get a big emotional scene discussing what happened in Prague. Instead, Sarah hides behind the binoculars. It's a very short scene overall, and then we get another now tiresome, interrupted, almost kiss that we have seen repeated over and over. I'm trying to keep the faith as I keep hearing the writer's favorite episodes are all yet to come. Anyway, I'm praying that the will-they-won't-they they with Chuck, Chuck and Sarah gets resolved over the next two episodes, that the show moves forward in a very entertaining way, the ratings go back up, and we get a season four. Hey, I'm, I'm up for all those I things, too. I think we can all agree with that one, Greg. <laughs> yeah. 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 And please keep up the great work with all of the Chuck information for us diehards. Well, uh, thank you, Greg, so much for your kind comments, especially um, comments about the podcast. And, and definitely, um, we'll, we'll talk a little more as, as the comments happen and, and in the discussion of the episode. But, um, I mean, I, I was very happy to at least see them open the subject, to, to see them talking about it. I, I think that um, because, obviously, we, we saw near the end of the episode where Sarah was so traumatized by her own red test um, that it really gave a lot of extra baggage to the stakeout, to the mission, to everything that was going on in this episode. And so um, as much as Chuck really wanted to talk, uh, I think all that was going through her mind was this, this red test. And uh, I don't think she really wanted to um, lay everything on the table at this point, especially not knowing what was going to happen. I agree. That was, um, that was a really huge moment for her. And uh, I, I do wish that we had had a larger scene with the, the Prague discussion. I wish more had uh, transpired and, and they had cleared the air a little bit more, but it did seem that after that discussion and, and also that Chuck had recreated 
their their first stakeout, which mm-hmm. is really adorable. Um, Very cute. I think that that helped Sarah see that okay, maybe this is the this this is still the same check. There's still the the check that I fell in love with is still there. Of course, then the red test happened, and her remembering how traumatized she was. Well, not remembering, she clearly is still tra- traumatized by it, and then projecting that onto Chuck because, of course, she thinks that he has actually killed the uh, killed Hunter Perry. She's feeling guilty. She's up. She's remembering her own pain, uh, projecting that onto to Chuck and feeling guilty that she's the one that that sent him to the mission, even though she was under orders to do so. Um, it, it was a really tough place to leave the episode. Mm-hmm. It was a really difficult place to leave the episode, but, um, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm conflicted about it because I felt like such a, a down way to leave the episode, but my goodness, what an insight we had into Sarah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Big, big, all one. this time she's been trying to, to keep Chuck from becoming a spy. And, and we've now seen a really, um, heartbreaking reason why she personally was trying to protect Chuck as a person that she loves and that she cares about from experiencing what she experienced. So, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a happy way to end the episode, but on a character point, uh, I, I think it was, it was really important and I'm glad we saw it. Yeah. And, and even though they didn't have the words, to be continued at the end it obviously emphatically was more than most of them a Mm -hmm. like we're going to pick up where we left off next week and continue this story i Um, hope so yeah Mm -hmm. we'll see i'll reserve my comments for later (laughs) 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 we're talking about the show (laughs) yeah okay so you've got one from nancy I do. I have one from Nancy Kay, who is Mize and Kay from Television Without Pity and Seppenwall's blog. Um, <clears throat> very active, very big Chuck fan over there. She says, longtime podcast listener, first time commenter, loyal fan of Chuck since the beginning. So here goes. Thinking about the phrase game changer and how the showrunners of our fave show like to bandy it about. I admit I was concerned at the end of season two when they gave Chuck his amazing um, Chuck Fu powers. Worried that it might change the dynamic, the charm, the funny. As the season, as the current season progressed, we got Chuck guitar playing, performing surgery, sword fighting, and of course, Kung Fuing. And, you know, all was well and it was hilarious. Recently, they've gone a little darker a little more violent with the powers. And that is okay to a degree, but like some viewers, I'm concerned at this turn and am wondering in word, in a word, if they are intent on game-changing our little gem of a show, as recent reports uh, vis-a-vis the season finale have hinted, do you think we will lose what makes the show so special and fun? Or am I overthinking this? What um, what other shows game-change so often, thanks for your for your consideration, Nancy K. Um, you know, I, I, there's a lot of talk about this, how dark the show has gotten, and um, you know, we'll talk about this again. We'll talk about it a little bit later, but I, I still have faith in the writers and the the crew of this show. They've given us already two good seasons, strong seasons. I see no reason why we should give up and think that this still isn't our little gem of a show. It still is. 
I think things have to get serious for a reason. Things are going to change. We don't want the same show repeated over and over and over again. I mean, how boring would that get after mm-hmm. a while? Don't you think um, people would stop watching just because they're just uh, tired of the same old, same old. But I think a little spice, a little, a little uh, drama in added into the mix. I think it stirs things up enough and uh, it's, sh- I don't know. I, now I'm just rambling, but mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Jump yeah. in anytime, guys. <laughs> and and I, I think that uh, that people are predominantly reacting to the last couple of episodes. I mean, I think yeah. um, uh, when you think of well, any, even when you think about Chuck versus the Beard, um, there's mm-hmm. some great lightness and comedy there. Um, I think the the episode on the airplane was was lots of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, they it went to some dark places, but. Uh, as I as I mentioned in an email to Nancy, um, I I do have it on authority from the writers that that episode eleven is the darkest it's going to get, and it's going to get lighter from here on. Um, this was something that they needed to do to set the the chess pieces into place, and now they're going to put them into play, and it's not going to be so dark for the rest of the season. So I'm I mean I I I enjoyed this. D- Path to the dark side, and you know Luke Skywalker <laughs> going into uh, into the vision and and seeing his his uh, or having his confrontation with Darth Vader. Um, uh, Chuck is facing some demons here, and uh, and I think that we're going to see some really really exciting stuff in the next few episodes. And keep in mind that that spoiler hints are that they're spoiler hints. They're they're not the real thing. And as as we've seen before. Uh, not all of the spoiler hints end up playing out the way we think they are going to. I also wanted to mention that as far as the darkness of the show goes, uh, and this has been brought up on the Chuck TV forums too, that if you stop watching the show about, depending on the episode, five to 10 minutes before the end of the episode, a lot of times you're going to have a show, uh, an episode that's going to remind you of that lightheartedness from um, season two in particular, the lighthearted, but lighthearted, but action packed and a little bit of drama thrown in. But then as you moved into the final act of the episode, that's where everything kind of comes to a head and, and this deep drama, uh, and, and darkness as a lot of the fans are calling it happens as we lead into this next episode. Um, so, and, you know, and it is part of the story. You can't ignore it, but, I think a, a lot of the good um, Chuck-like parts of the show get forgotten because we keep ending on these kind of heavy and dramatic moments that, of course, that's what sticks with people. Mm-hmm. And as it should. I, another comment I read that really um, stuck out in my mind was someone said, you know, there's all these people that are saying... Um, I didn't like this episode or it was so dark and um, this, this commenter. And again, and forgive me, I, I can't remember who it is because I'm literally reading hundreds of comments a day and moderating everything. But um, they said that they don't remember seasons one and two. Those episodes didn't stick with them the way that this season's episodes have mm-hmm. that they enjoyed those seasons. They, they watched them every week and they, it was appointment television and they liked them. But once the episode was over, they kind of forgot about it until the next week. Whereas this season, they're 
they're thinking about them still, you know, they sleep on it and they wake up the next morning and they think about it some more. Um, and then, you know, they might come in and, and chat on the forum or, um, on the, on the main site or elsewhere about it. And it's, it's sticking with them. So it's, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword because no, it's not as light as it has been in the past, but there's obviously some substance there mm -hmm. that's causing fans to want to hash it out and figure out what's going on yeah. uh, and, and talk with each other about it. So we've had some really fantastic discussions about these episodes. And sometimes I think that the, the, the fact that we're able to have these substantial discussions is getting lost as well. I mean, it, it is a benefit in my opinion. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I think the, uh, the question that Nancy raised about, um, if the the writers are going to keep game changing, game changing, etc. I wish they would quit using that phrase. <laughs> well, the thing is, the the real game change was the last episode of season two. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was the game change, and now this season is about Chuck wrestling with that mm -hmm. because obviously it it got him into a new club, which is being able to be a a true spy. Um, but then, what is that going to mean for his life? What is that going to mean for his relationships? And yeah. what is that going to mean for his own identity? And that those are all the questions that are being faced and, and answered mm -hmm. um, this season. And, and sure, we have a lot of fun stuff going on as well. But with this coming of age that, that Chuck is doing, there's going to have to be some tough stuff too. Mm -hmm. And and uh, I am glad <laughs> to be reassured that that uh, um, that the spy test was the the end of the darkest dark. Um, because we're and and also it, it needs to be said that that uh, a big part of it too, as as Mo Ryan pointed out, is that the budget restrictions have meant that we haven't been able to see all of the um, the other actors who happen to be the ones that provide a lot of the lightness. Um, That's true. When you when you see Devin and Ellie, um, you don't see some of the Buy More people. When you see the Buy More people, even Morgan was gone at a at a seminar this week. Um, we had Morgan, Devin, and Ellie gone this week, um, and that that affects the lightness of the episode. And uh, we've been assured that um, a lot of the reason they were saving so much cash in the front part of the season is because there's going to be a number of episodes that have the entire cast uh, coming up. So that's really really exciting. Yeah, looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize how much I missed Morgan until these few episodes that he's been gone. Yeah. Yeah. I miss the bearded little guy. <laughs> so, okay, well, um, moving on, I've got an email here from Paul. He writes in and says, the first question I have is for anybody who wants to answer, what is the appeal, the appeal of Dancing with the Stars, especially in the younger demo? I just don't get it. Um, so I'm going to answer that first because I think I'm the only one here who has watched Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and my first time was tonight. I, uh, I DVR'd it last night because those punks over at abc signed up uh, evan lysacek who some of you know and i'm about to be added to even more as my olympic boyfriend and uh mm. so when they announced that he was going to be on dancing with the stars i was throwing myself a little tin for tantrum over in the chuck tv forums because it wasn't far enough from the olympics for me to be over you know the little crush <laughs> so I know I was going to have to at least try it out. Um, and then Buzz Aldrin, I mean, he's an astronaut. You got to watch him dance, right? <laughs> so it was enough. It was just enough. So I did record it. I DVR'd it. Um, I made sure to wait until after Monday to watch it, um, just just to be on the safe side. Uh, and I watched Evan's dance and Buzz Aldrin's dances 
right before the podcast tonight just to kind of see, you know, what, what is, and also I knew Paul had written in about it. So I thought, well, I better make sure I, I watch it before we, we uh, record here. Um, I, I don't know, to be honest, if you didn't like the person who was dancing, I don't know what the appeal would be. It's so cheesy. <laughs> it's so <laughs> cheesy. Um, unfortunately, Evan scored really well. So I think I'm going to be in it a couple <laughs> more weeks, but, um, but I did, I, I fast forwarded everything except, um, Evan and, and Buzz. And, uh, I, I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Do, what do you guys think? I mean, why are you not watching it? Uh, I mean, for me, it's, it's very simple. Um, I sadly work in reality TV and, um, I unfortunately know what goes on behind the scenes <laughs> and, uh, it's not so reality TV. <laughs> Yeah, at, at least it's it's sort of like um, I I used to work in a in a warehouse uh, that shipped um, a lot of uh, skin and hair care products. And I was around the smell so much that when I left, I, I just couldn't be around anything that smelled like that. And it's it's sort of like when you're when you work in reality TV and you see what's behind the scenes, you just develop a distaste for a lot of. That Are you stuff. saying reality TV stinks? Is that what you're trying to say, Greg? <laughs> <laughs> saying it smells. <laughs> After working in Not it all day. I disagree. <laughs> well, and, and, and also, actually, the, the, the point needs to be said um, that I, I support scripted television because I think it needs my support a lot more than reality TV does. Uh, I, don't, I don't want for scripted television to become an endangered species. Oh. Agreed. I and agree. That, I'm surprised that reality has gone on as long as it has i don't know what the appeal is but um you know for me i think I, and i'm older than both i'm old enough to remember the the variety shows mm -hmm. you know the reruns of lawrence welk um <laughs> <laughs> right right <laughs> um so this to me is is a a, a sad imitation um i can't i can't uh bring myself to be interested enough to to watch dancing with the stars or um and the reality television to me i i watch tv to be entertained mm -hmm. and uh, i know a lot of people say well that is entertainment really when you look at it but it's i don't know i it doesn't entertain me i'm not entertained perhaps and this goes back to one of the main complaints we've been seeing from fans that Perhaps the appeal of this and American Idol is that viewers actually get a say in what happens. Mm, interesting. Oh. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. Because that's been a common thread in the complaints about this season of Check, especially in those last maybe five episodes. Um, well, actually, probably just the last four episodes. But um, people saying, fans saying, we renewed the show for this. This isn't what I wanted. And, you know, there was... A, a controversy about that after the mask and the the whole question of fans feeling entitled versus what showrunners owe the fans and you know obviously they want to create a product that we like so we'll keep watching it uh and is this um call in your vote technique just a really really simplified version of fans being able to say or, or viewers being able to say this is what we like and this is what we don't like mm -hmm. I don't know maybe it's as simple as that 
That could be. I could see the sense push in the that. Button. Yeah, yeah. That could be. That gives them their sense of entitlement that you're that you're talking about that they the don't power, get scripted. Power is yeah. pure. Power. And you know, you see it especially in um Idol, American Idol. Um of course that could be a bad thing after you know <laughs> after the winners win. <laughs> that could be a very bad thing because then the fans that you know continue to follow their career go to um feeling like dreams. F- yeah, feeling like they own that person. Right. So I that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, it's a theory. It's a mm-hmm. theory. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, that does make sense. Well, let's get to the rest of Paul's email. Um, he says uh, several people have suggested on the Czech TV forums that the primary reason for the decline in viewership is the continuing and drawn out angst between Czech and Sarah. What do all of you think about this, or do you have another viewership theory? Um. I wouldn't call it the primary reason, but I think it factors. I mean, how could it, how could it not? If enough people are unhappy with the direction that a a part of the storyline is going, then maybe they're pushing the button to another channel. Yeah. But honestly, I do think that the last two weeks, daylight savings time had a big impact. You can't ignore that. I mean, we were still seeing it on Thursday of that week. Ratings were still down enough for people to go, wow people still haven't figured it out that it's yeah. an hour later. And, and the reality is for i mean everybody i know dvrs everything and and sure we're canadian and we don't count in the nielsen numbers but i i have to believe that that that's a big factor um in like especially in the weather like it, if you can if you can sit down in front of the tv because it's terrible weather outside or it's or it's dark and you happen to be there, you won't necessarily time shift. But if you have an easy way of time shifting and it's nice outside, then uh, I can see a lot of people making that decision. Mm-hmm. Check is the only thing I watch live. Mm-hmm. It is just for various reasons. Uh, yeah. It's so much easier for me to just program the DVR and then, you know, turn it on the next day and go, oh, look, presents. Yeah. So, you know, I just do whatever I want the night before. So mm-hmm. I do. I think DVR numbers have made an impact. I wish it did not take so long to see the results of that because we just got the uh, fake name results, I think, earlier this week. Wow. And uh, it did push the, the DVR uh, live plus seven, which means people that watched it either live or within seven days on uh, DVR TiVo. The uh, demo jumped up to 3.0. Wow! As a result of the DVR numbers, so yeah, which was a, a 3.0 from what did it start out as? 2.4. So another 0.6 to the yeah. numbers. I'm going to be very interested to see what the um, the numbers when um, uh, Tic Tac aired, which was with the time change. Mm-hmm. Very interested to see what the DVR numbers are for that. Yeah, but I think we're still about two weeks away from finding that out. So yeah. I hate that. Yeah, so. yeah, it'd be interesting if it went up even more mm-hmm. than that. I kind of suspect that it's going to. Just, It just seems like it would have to, but, you know, I can never predict. We have a ratings thread on the forum where people predict I'm always wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I might be a little optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> I think more people are like me than actually are. Yeah. So. If you say it, it will happen. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by Moria King, that's actually happened, Ben. 
he's he's often he's spot on with his numbers, but yeah, he might he spends a little more time analyzing them than I do. So I would hope he would be closer. But anyway, yeah, it, I, I mean, I I think uh, now Paul Paul's asking for viewership theories. My theory has always been that um, that the kind of people um, predominantly who watch Chuck are a slightly bit more technically savvy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And and what are probably slightly more inclined to DVR something, PVR it, watch online, etc. And so, um, I th- I think that's definitely uh, a big factor. And and I would add to that that the that if you bubble down all the things that have come by email and Twitter and and all that kind of thing, it seems like the the two biggest things that that are making people not watch is this darker and more violent direction as as one and giving up because of the angst and the Chuck Sarah thing. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, if I, I, I urge people to, to keep, keep with it and, uh, and you'll see more lightness return. You won't be, it's, uh, you see it being so dark and, and you'll see more between Chuck and Sarah, but I'm, you know, I mean, maybe there are some people who can't wait. It. It's always darkest before the dawn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Words of wisdom. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> yes. There is light coming, but you know, yes. I, I know a lot of people are, are just tired of hearing us say, keep the faith, keep the faith. Yeah. Um. So, you know, it's your prerogative. Well, then just watch it with us. Yeah. How's that? <laughs> just yeah. watch it watch with, with us. us, folks. Yeah. And We're still enjoying it for the most part. We're still getting so. a kick out of it. Now people, there's so much angst and lost. Why? Why do people put up with uh, like see, angst you're... to the tenth degree and lost every single week and not getting the answers that they want for like weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and they still watch it? What? Try years, man. I gave years, up on yeah. that after Charlie was killed. Right. Yeah. I just couldn't. I decided to wait until the DVDs came out. So, you know, there several people have told me that I do not understand what the people that are complaining are talking about. I do understand. Yeah. That's why I quit watching Lost. And, you know, the things that are happening on Chuck don't affect me like that. So mm-hmm. that's why I'm still watching Chuck and still enjoying it. But believe me, I get it. Yeah. I've stopped uh, yeah. watching shows I, before. Right. I totally understand. I I was a huge, huge Heroes fan. Huge. Mm-hmm. And then they started, I don't know what happened. And I lost interest. I just totally lost interest. Mm-hmm. And it, I know it got good again, but by then I was gone. Yeah same here so i think it just goes to you know your threshold for um how how much you're willing to give the the show the benefit of the doubt and how willing you are to see the good in an episode that perhaps didn't serve another storyline that you really wanted hmm. to see progress or you know again this is so complicated because i keep seeing progression on these storylines that other people are feeling like it's taking too long or nothing's happening hmm. so um I don't know. I guess it depends on where your focus is, huh? Yeah. I suppose so, yeah. Yeah, and, and what you bring into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so, somebody, uh, one one of the people wrote in saying that, that he basically married his high school sweetheart. <laughs> you know, they, they met, they, they went to a movie, and that, and then now it's like 14 years later or something. Um, and so, obviously, uh, a person who has that experience might have a completely different way of looking at it than somebody who's been through a whole pile of relationship angst for so many years and still hasn't found somebody and made it work or, you know, right? like they, uh, we're, we're all different. We all, we all 
see things a different way. That's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. But anyway, uh, we should probably move on. Um, yes. And we want to give a shout out to Aya from the Philippines. We uh, we don't have time to read your email. Sorry, Aya, but uh, um, I wanted to show everybody the pictures of your tattoos. Um, that is so cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. When Aya was on vacation, he got these henna tattoos. Um, and they, of course, say Chuck on them. And uh, that that's cool. And I know henna. Henna takes weeks to wear off. So this guy was wearing Chuck for weeks. All right. Very, very cool. Way to campaign, Aya. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Very, that's very dedication. cool. dedication. Those were beautiful tattoos. I have to say they were lovely. Yeah. And now we're going to go into my interview with Kevin Mock, which I actually had quite a few months ago and uh, got delayed for, for a number of different reasons. We had other interviews come up that, uh, that were more timely. And uh, so uh, we now finally get to hear from Kevin, the last of the three editors from Chuck. You're going to love it. I want to welcome Kevin Mock to the show. Uh, how are you doing? Great, great. Now, Kevin is an editor, but it's hard to describe Kevin as only an editor because he also directs and produces and does many other things. Um, so it's going to be a really, really interesting interview, and I uh, look forward to hearing all of your story. Yes, we'll see. Hopefully I don't disappoint. <laughs> I'm sure you won't. Um, so we, we usually go right back to the beginning, and uh, I, people are fascinated with stories on on how people get into the industry. And so, where did you initially grow up? Um, I was born in Buffalo, but I grew up in Pittsburgh. From a very early age, I was I was interested in film. I think I made my first film in the third grade, and so I always wanted to get into filmmaking. So then uh, I went to college and uh, I went to Syracuse uh, in their film and television program. So essentially, the early years, and right out of college, I moved to to Los Angeles. I just packed up the car and, and, and drove out the next month. Wow. And so did you have any leads at that point already, or, or were you a starving artist at first? Uh, starving artist. I mean, I had a few friends who had moved out here uh, you know, a year or two before, and so they thought they could help me find jobs. But, yeah, no job. We just sort of took the leap. Um, and, uh, yeah. And so r- right away, um, let's see, what was my first? My first job was as an extra in a Roger Corman movie. Mm-hmm. Which didn't pay, but you know, I was on a movie set within a couple of days of arriving. I thought this was good. Wow. And, and then that day they were looking for PAs to work on another Roger Corman film shooting at the same time, uh, starting the next day. And I had a car and they were like, you're hired. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that was it. <clears throat> and that was a fun place to work. Cause, you know, it was, you know, you're making really sort of crazy, trashy movies. And, and uh, but some of them were children's films. So they weren't all trashy, but they were very low budget. But they they got some decent cast, and it was kind of it was an interesting place. And it's funny because uh, Alex Pasavis, who works on the show, mm-hmm. and 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 Norman Mockley, who works on the show, they were both there at the same time, but I actually didn't know them. Oh wow! Um, but we were all you know I was working for PA, they were working you know as music supervisors or editors, you know, and so on. But yeah, so it was a fun, fun time in the early 90s when people were making those kind of movies. Mm-hmm. Now, your first IMDb credit is as an assistant film editor on uh, on some films in 1995. So h- how did that transition happen? Um, I PA'd for a little while for Roger Corman. I think he paid you know something like $300 a week. And another company was offering PAs $350 a week. 
a similar company called PM Entertainment. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, well, that's great. I, I could use an extra $50 a week. So I went to work for them. And they had Avid. Whereas Roger Corman was still cutting on film. And I, I knew I wanted to get into editing. Mm-hmm. And um, so um, I, I was sort of PAing at Roger Corman's company. And then at night, I would help out in the edit rooms, sort of thinking daily, you know, you know, old school film style. And then the, but this new company had Avid, and I thought, well, I, I'm going to go work there. So I went to work with, with this company, and they, uh, you know, I PA'd for them for maybe two films, and then they offered me a job as an assistant editor, even though I didn't know the Avid. You know, they just said, we're not going to pay you much, but you'll have to, you know, you can learn as you go. And I thought, great. So I, I worked on a couple of films there as an assistant editor for basically about six months. It was a company that made about 12 films a year, so we were always really busy. Wow. And, um, I was, uh, you know, I was, I'd work at night shift, you know, midnight to 8 a.m. or something like that. And, mm-hmm. uh, they said, look, if you want to start practicing editing, you know, you can do whatever you want. As long as you get your work done, you can practice cutting a scene or do whatever. You know, they were always really supportive of you doing whatever you want to do. Mm-hmm. So I was working on a film and the editor wasn't cutting anything because he knew he was going to leave. He, he, I think he'd already sort of booked his next job and the dailies were coming in on this film and he really wasn't, you know, he was doing two films at once at this company. And so this one film was sort of falling by the wayside, and so every night I would start cutting stuff for it. And which film was and that? It was a film called Tiger Heart. Mm-hmm. It was like a, a kid's kickboxing movie. Oh, know? yeah? Yeah, so it was sort of a, an ill-fated kind of uh, the, the karate kid type film. Uh, it really wanted to be. And, um, and basically by, you know, a couple, couple weeks in, or no, I guess it was, those films only had to shoot a couple weeks, but basically a few days in, he quits the film, the editor. And uh, the producers are freaking out because they don't have a replacement for him. Mm-hmm. When they were looking for an editor, I, I mentioned that. I said, look, you know, I've been cutting a bunch of stuff at night. At least you can use that stuff. You know, when your new editor comes in, he can use the stuff. And I thought, well, that's what was going to happen. Maybe they would, they would, I was just hoping they would at least take a look at my stuff. Mm-hmm. And in the future, it would lead to stuff. Well, they took a look at it and they said, you know, you can finish the film. <laughs> and, that was, and that was it. That's so, great. Yeah, they didn't give me a pay raise. They were still paying me as an assistant editor. But oh, they, wow. um, they let me finish the film, and uh, and then that led to you know then I from then on I was an editor there. Wow, and, and, uh, and now you're listed as a director of post production on that one. Yeah, that was a made up title they would make up. They they had there that was kind of basically the what they the company never liked the directors that much that worked for them, or they didn't seem to like having them in post. Mm-hmm. The directors never got a director's cut. And they never went to the mix, and they never supervised ADR. They never did any of the stuff that mm-hmm. the director would normally do on a film. So essentially, the editor had to do everything. Once the film arrived uh, at post, you did everything there. You did the whole, it was your show from that wow. out, from out, out. And so they, they made up this title they would give us for that. And uh, But uh, yeah, essentially, you were kind of like a producer from that out, out on the film. Mm-hmm. Now, just, just to backtrack a, a touch, just to explain for everybody, um, who might not know the editing terminologies? Uh, back in that time in the early '90s, there w- most films were still being actually cut on film, which is is splicing, l- literally celluloid, like you like you'd get in a in a film camera. Yeah. Um, and there was a movement happening at the same time that that uh, editing was happening on computer, and that was a big deal. But it was really expensive that, back then. And so so when you talk about editing on Avid, how Roger Corman was still working on film, but this new company was working on computer, so that was obviously a, a new technology that was really important going forward. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was a, 
was really I lucked out with that because you know essentially I, I learned that technology right at the beginning, and so it just uh, uh, I caught that wave of change and never really had to assist be an assistant editor very much. I mean, sometimes I wish I had been an assistant editor on some nice films and worked with some great editors, but uh, instead I had some interesting experience on some really strange movies. <laughs> so, yeah. And so, uh, I- explain how that that went to uh, you. You started your first TV show editing um, around that time, LA Heat. Yeah, same company. They basically, you know, like I said, they shot twelve. They would shoot twelve action films a year, and these were, uh, you know, sort of, you know, action films that starred, you know, Don the Dragon Wilson or Anna Nicole Smith or mm-hmm. not really, you know, high drama. But the action stuff they did was spectacular. They really had a great uh, action unit. Mm-hmm. They really knew how to. They would sort of spend all of their money on the action, and none, they'd spend money on nothing else. Oh yeah, and so. Uh, so they had this catalog of, you know, almost 100 films after, you know, being in business for a number of years uh, that had all these great action sequences. And they thought, well, why don't we capitalize on these action sequences and build a television series around it? Wow. So the show would do five action scenes in an hour. And we would shoot maybe, they would shoot maybe three or four of them. And then one of them or two was a stock footage. They would basically reuse an action sequence they've already done. <laughs> And they would just re-shoot, see, see, you know, in, in, you know, material to go in and around those action scenes and to, to make it, to integrate into the plot. And, you know, it was a, it was a cop show. And so, uh, you know, essentially it was a lot of them running up to cars and saying, we need your vehicle. And they jumped in the car and suddenly they'd be, you know, in the Trans Am instead of in their cop car in the car seat. <laughs> Um, oh, I love that! But stuff. it was a great way for them to maximize their catalog, and this was a it was a show designed for foreign television sales. Hmm. And these guys had never done television before, and so they were learning it as they went. And I cut the the pilot to them, and uh, and was also learning as I went. But the, the, the quickly they they realized they needed someone as a producer in post production, so they they promoted me to to the to the associate producer, where I would sort of oversee all the editing stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was a complicated show because of integrating the stock footage, and so we were constantly having to go back to do pickups to make the stock footage work, or to shoot new things to you know to, just to make it seem smoother, so you couldn't tell that we were using you know this this footage again. Mm-hmm. And I, and I would go and shoot that stuff. Oh, really? And so yeah, so I got to know the the cast well, and by the time we got into the second season of the show, um, the cast had lobbied for me to to direct an episode. So I got a couple of episodes that second season. Wow, great! Um, and and you, uh, Hollywood Safari, was that also with the same company? Same company. It was a show. They 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 had they were kind of they were putting money into it, and some other guys were producing it, and uh, and it was kind of they were having some trouble with it halfway through, and so they pulled me off of um, LA Heat, and I went to Hollywood Safari. Yeah. Wow. So it, it sounds like it was a pretty exciting time. It was a very exciting time. I mean, I wasn't making much money, you know, but I was 25 maybe and doing a lot of work on, you know, on stuff that nobody saw. Um, <laughs> you know, that was, that was the downside was that no one really watched these shows. Uh, they weren't, you know, they were fun, uh, but they, you know, they weren't going to be network television shows. Uh, more like syndicated kind of, you know, they, I think LA Heat ended up airing on TNT, uh, you know, in the afternoon and stuff like that. So. Mm-hmm. Now you um, you eventually did make a break into 
some better known stuff. Uh, when did that happen? Um, well, that company sort of, um, you know, uh, that that sort of form that sort of the company operated on foreign sales, and foreign sales started drying up. So I, I ended up leaving the company as it was kind of falling apart, and did a few other foreign, you know, jobs on shows that were kind of similar kind of things. And then, uh, and then reality started picking up in the, you know, around the year 2000. And uh, I think Survivor had been on. And I thought, well, this is interesting. And as someone with an editorial background, uh, I kind of saw that the potential for editing to really be a powerful force in this sort of reality genre. Mm-hmm. And so a friend called and said, you know, we're looking for people for this MTV reality genre. I thought, well, I'll try that. And it played, paid pretty well. And I thought, great. So I thought I'd just try as an experiment. And then I ended up spending the next, you know, basically six, seven years in reality. Mm-hmm. And so that first show was tough enough? Uh, I actually went and I worked. The first one I did was a show called Making the Video MTV. Mm-hmm. And then that led to Tough Enough. Uh, which which was about WWE kids that wanted to be WWE wrestlers, mm-hmm. and I went to America's Next Top Model. And he did that for quite a while. Yeah. Um. So t- talk about that experience because you you were actually primarily a director, or or were you bouncing uh, back and forth? A, I started as an editor on America's Next Top Model, and then the, just starting with the second season, uh, I would bounce back and forth between directing and editing, depending on, on what the schedule allowed. But to, to be honest, in the reality genre, the, the editor is a bit more, even more creative than the director. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, uh, but, but I like getting involved. You know, I liked, I had production experience and I liked getting involved with production. It's a different kind of, um, production and it's certainly fun. And, and you're uh, listed as a, as a co-producer. Is that similar to, um, scripted television? No, it was, it was a title they made up on that show. Before they called the directors on that show directors, because mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't DGA yet or anything like that, and so they weren't sure what to call you. Mm-hmm. You were directing in the field, so they called. I think, and because I was doing that and editing, they they said, "Well, we'll call you a co-producer since I was involved in both aspects." Mm-hmm. So uh, that's sort of what that title meant. Cool. Um, so then Chuck came along. Then Chuck came. Along. I mean, you know, for years when I was working on America's Next Top Model, I you know I really enjoyed. The, working on that show, and it was fun to work on a show that there's a lot of fans of, and, and you know, people watch, but I really kind of wanted to get out of reality and back into scripted, and I'd always been sort of, you know, keeping an eye out for something, and um, I'd worked with um, Alex Pitsavis years ago at, at that company where we made LA Heat, mm-hmm. and so she was always on the lookout for stuff that I'd be right for, and um, and I knew a few other people that were associated with, with Chuck, like uh like Rick Hubert, the, the associate producer. Mm-hmm. And so they were looking for an editor, and uh, and uh, they called me up. And um, I also knew Matt Ramsey, who had been an, uh, an editor on the OC. Yeah. And so they all sort of, all, all three of them had sort of recommended me for this job uh, to Josh and uh, to Josh Schwartz. And I thought, well, well, I don't know, well, that's good. Three people, maybe, maybe I'll get this job. <laughs> and, uh, and I'd seen the pilot and I was a big fan and I thought this is right up my alley. I had the action experience and, and in reality, I always kind of, uh, gravitated towards the comedic stuff. Mm-hmm. And I thought this, this, this would be a perfect match for, for what I like to do and, you know, the kind of show I would watch. And, um, and so, yeah, so I, I got hired on, but I didn't start till a couple episodes into the first season. Mm-hmm. Well, so, Norman did the first two. He did. Norman did the first two, and then Norman was leaving to go work on um, 
um, Gossip Girl, and mm-hmm. uh, they needed a third editor, and so they brought me on. Great. So you had already seen the pilot, and what were your first impressions of the show? I, I mean, I loved it. I thought it was I thought it was hysterical. I thought it looked great, and, um, and I, just, I just thought it was my kind of show. And, uh, right away, it spoke to me. Mm-hmm. And so, so talk about your your first experiences editing. So you you had done tons of of scripted stuff, um, but probably not uh, anything like Chuck. So um, no, I I hadn't, and I was actually a little rusty on scripted stuff too. I had I mean I'd done scripted stuff, but I'd done scripted stuff you know almost ten years ago, and um, and I've been doing almost reality since then. And so so it was actually a big leap of faith on 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 Josh Schwartz's part to hire me, you know, because I think he you know I think there was some concern that you know. I was a reality guy, and I think in the in this business, you get pigeonholed. You're either a reality person or a scripted person. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to break out of that, and so I was really really appreciated that they sort of gave me a chance to do that again. And um, but yeah, Chuck is hard just because the tone is is uh, is a is a tricky balance. You know, you're tr- you're constantly in a scene, um, you know, trying to make the Jeopardy scene as real as possible without it seeming like a bummer or without, you know, with, well, still making it fun or fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you want, you know, you want all the, the emotions to land properly, but you still want it to be a fun ride, you know. And, uh, and that's kind of the, the trick. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, 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 it's a lot harder than I thought it was going to be to do that. It takes a lot of work. Now, what maybe you could tell about um, a particular scene or or storyline that was especially challenging or especially fun. So maybe some stories from behind the scenes. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some of the ones. Um, you know, some of the scenes. I, you know, in episodes, I've I've cut the, 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 the you know the first one I did was Chuck versus the alma mater, which is when he went back to Stanford, which is when we flash back to how he got kicked out of Stanford mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And, um, and, you know, I, I sort of was, I, I had come from the background of, uh, of reality television coming into that episode. And so I was sort of really embracing all the emotion, you know, in reality television, if, if someone is crying or upset or, um, you know, you really sort of play that up. You want to play up every emotion you get, you know. And so I was really kind of playing up all the emotion. And the first cut I think I did of that was really kind of a bit of a bummer. Oh, you know, no. It was, it was a bit, uh, you know, it was a, it was a bit more emotional than it needed to be, and it, it wasn't as fun as. And so I think that was a, a wake up call for me. I, I delivered that first cut, and then I think I realized, you know what, this is a bit, this is more than it needs. And uh, and so uh, you know, we scaled it back, and it turned out to be a great episode. But that's oh, yeah, to your credit, it was a really fun episode. Uh, thanks, yeah. And um, but you know, I really love when this show, you know, the, the, some of the set pieces I've gotten to do have been fantastic. I mean, the, the um, it's episode 109, which is Chuck versus the Nemesis, where they have like the the riot in the store, um, um, and uh, oh, that was the, hilarious! And the buy more. I mean, that that kind of stuff I love doing. You, you get to use you know a song, and you get to you know, build a whole sequence like that. Uh, you know, that stuff's really fun. And uh, I'm trying to think, I I've been lucky, and I've had a lot of the episodes that have come in where we have not had to, uh, did not come in too too long i've had some of them coming along but we haven't had to drop too much stuff mm-hmm. and so uh so really I, i've had a very smooth ride I've, I've worked with some great directors and um yeah I, i've really had a sort of a, a blessed experience on the show since it started and um you know i think i've only had two episodes coming really long which would have been uh chuck versus the breakup 
which was the, the episode 203 mm. of last season. Um, and then uh, Chuck versus the Colonel, which was the second to last episode last season, which was just jam-packed with, with stuff. You know, that's where Austin found out that Chuck was a spy and, uh, you know, uh, you know, with the intersector picking up Chuck's head and there was just so much stuff going on in that episode. I mean, it turned out to be a great episode, but boy, we, when we did the first cut, it was, it was pretty long. Now, I- explain to the viewers what, what that means coming in long. Uh, I think the episodes, you know, are, are around about, you want it to be about 42 minutes, uh, you know, the, the, you know, to count for commercials for an hour long show. And, um, you're hoping that, you know, basically your, your first cut comes in maybe 47 minutes, 48. That way you have, you have you know, that many minutes you can squeeze out, you can trim things up and pace things up and, and, and make the show move. But I think, you know, an episode like this, I think, came in maybe at 54 minutes. Wow. So suddenly then you have to make hard choices. When you're that long, you got to start dropping scenes or storylines or, you know, you have to lose jokes that maybe you like, you know, mm-hmm. that, 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 that's tough. And yeah. can you remember any in particular with either of those episodes that... Uh... Uh, I think in Chuck versus the Colonel, we had to lose. There was more of, uh, the, in that episode also was where Morgan quits to buy more. Uh, and it was the, the Godfather stuff with, uh, with Big Mike was sort of acting as Godfather in the store. And there was a bit more of that. You got a bit more of Big Mike sort of acting as the Godfather, sort of using Jeff and Lester as his minions. And you got more of Morgan sort of getting grief from, from, you know, the other buy more employees. And, and that stuff was all really fun, really funny, but, in the end, you know, we just had to squeeze that story down to the bare bones. I mean, we still got some really funny stuff out of it. We were still able to tell that story, but we, uh, you know, we had to, to squeeze some of that stuff out. Would that kind of uh, thing ever end up on DVD extras? I think so. I think they'll probably put some of that on the DVD. I know in, like, um, I'm pretty sure in Chuck versus the Breakup, the other one I had that was really, really long, uh, there was a big scene, or there was a funny scene with, with um, Morgan and uh, Lester, that we just was the first thing to go once we were along. We were like, you know, this is a funny scene, but it's the one expendable piece. It's the one piece that the whole, you know, you don't need to tell the rest of the story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, I remember as soon as we pulled it, we put it, we set it aside and said, we'll save this for the DVD. Mm-hmm. So I'm, sure, I'm sure that one will probably be on there. Yeah. Now, um, you are one of three editors. There's Matt Barber and Jeff Granzo. Um, mm-hmm. How busy does that make you? Is that full time? You don't have time for anything else during the season. No, that's full time. Yeah, it's uh, we're pretty we're pretty busy, and uh, and we work a lot of hours, and um, uh, but we all love, sort of love working on the show. Uh, mm-hmm. But you know, because essentially we we split it up where each of us takes an episode and, and you rotate, and so um, so I, I basically we get every third episode. Yep. And so now that probably wouldn't leave you any time to direct an episode, but is directing an episode of Chuck something that you'd like to do? I mean, I would, I would love to do that, but it's, it, you know, this is a, Chuck is a tricky show and, uh, and, uh, you know, they found a stable of very good directors that they are right now. And so, um, you know, if they were, if they were to offer me something, I think that would be fantastic. But, uh, it, you know, this is a, it's tricky to make that move from, from editor to director. You know, I know they, they, they've done it for Norman. But it's a, it's a, you know, that's a long-term goal of mine. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a, a few fan questions that are sort of more on the process of editing. Um, so when you work on the episodes, do you work with all the directors, just whoever comes up, or are you usually paired with certain directors? 
Um, you know, you kind of, you sort of get, um, it's, you know, you, like I said, it's a rotation, so it's every third. So you don't, you, you, you'll get a direct, different director each time. Occasionally I've worked with the, um, the same director more than once. I've gotten, I worked with Patrick Norris twice, uh, who's, who's really great, who also works on, on Gossip Girl. And I worked with, uh, Peter Lauer twice last season, who was also a fantastic director on the show. So, I mean, sometimes it sort of, you fall into these patterns where you get, I think I got, in the beginning, I was getting all of the, um, like of the first four episodes, I cut three of them were Bryce Larkin episodes. Mm-hmm. And suddenly I became the editor who was getting all of the Bryce Larkin story. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but now that we've been on this long, that's, that's sort of shaken up a little. I, I think I missed the Bryce Larkin episode along the way. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. So, um, now, how, no, how involved are the directors in, in the editing process? Uh, basically, the way the editing process works is that we have, uh, you know, the, if, if, a, if an episode finishes shooting, let's say, on, on a Monday, um, that footage from that last day will come in on a Tuesday. And then from there, the editors have two more days to finish their cut of the episode. So that means we have to be done with our cut by that Thursday night. And then the directors will come in, you know, starting uh, that Friday. Mm-hmm. This, this changes week to week, but but essentially you have two days from when you get the last bit of dailies to when the director comes in. Now, just to explain to everybody that that's not that you edit the whole show in two days. You've been editing as the footage comes in. Yeah, we edit as the production as the as the footage is coming in. So you're trying to keep up, but it can be tricky because sometimes that last day can be the second half of every phone call in the episode, mm-hmm. or a key element that's in an action scene. So it's hard to cut the rest of that action scene in that phone call until you have that last piece. And so that last day, you're, you get you get a little slammed. Um, but then you you know, and it's in in our cuts have you know we put in the music, we put in sound effects, you know, this is temp- temporary music, temporary sound effects, all that stuff. And then a director will come in and we'll work with the director for four days, uh, sort of getting the cut in, into the shape they want it to be in. And then we turn it over to the producers and then we work with, you know, basically Josh Schwartz, uh, you know, Chris Vidak, and, you know, getting the show into the shape they want it to be in. Cool. So um, would any of the other writers be involved? Like the person who wrote the that particular episode, would they ever... Be involved in the editing process. Sure, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. They're often the, the writer of the episode gets involved. Uh, you know, sometimes uh, Matt Miller gets involved or Ali Adler. It, it really depends on um, on what the episode needs or, or um, you know, or, or who's involved in the sort of yeah, sort of creating that episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, as I understand it, then um, you each get your own episode. Do you ever team up on any episodes uh, with other editors? No, we haven't had to do that yet. Um, but we have done, I think maybe, but this is rare, but maybe two, maybe two, maybe, maybe three times a season, we'll do a scene for, you know, if someone's getting fallen behind and there's another editor who's not busy at the time, you'll, you'll offer to cut a scene for somebody. So I've cut a scene here and there for Matt or, or for, for Jeff Granzow and they've done the same for me on episodes where I'm, I'm falling behind on the work and I'm really busy and I can tell that they're not busy. So mm-hmm. they do that, yeah. And so, uh, so how how long from when you first start getting the dailies to when you're actually ready to uh, say not necessarily ready to air, but uh, when you're ready to send your cut to uh, to online? I think it's. I mean, I think it's scheduled to be. I mean, like I said, let's see, it's two days for 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 the editor, then it's you know four days for the um, for the director, and then it's another maybe you know four days for the producer. So it's about a two week process. 
Well, that's uh, quick. Sometimes it takes longer if there's if they still need to shoot something for the episode. Um, you know, we've even we've done some of them shorter than that. If we've had, if we're up against an air date, we we have to turn it around really fast. Uh, you know, like let's say that you know the episode airs in in two weeks. Well, we gotta we gotta suddenly we'll shave off some of those days, and everyone will have to work a lot faster. Mm-hmm. Now, I I noticed that uh, that often the music is a is a really key part of the the shows, but it, but you said that you're working with temp tracks and temp sound effects. So does that ever complicate the process when the temp tracks get uh, swapped in? Um, well, what happens is with you know every music cue that Tim Jones has ever delivered for the show, uh, we keep in the in the in the admins, and so we can we use a lot of his music temp the show. Mm-hmm. As we go through, in addition to you know pop songs or, or, or whatnot, but uh, and then we'll also use some some temp music that's from other film scores. If we want to do something that's different than what Tim has already done, uh, we'll put we'll put a note. And then when the episode is is locked and 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 ready to go over to sound and, and online or whatever, uh, we'll watch the show again with Tim, and he sort of decides you know how he's going to reproach his music and and but what cues he wants to maybe keep that we've already cut in there or, mm-hmm. you know, what stuff he's going to, we're going to have him redo or he wants to redo uh, or come up with new themes or, you know, and, uh, and it's, uh, it's, that's kind of the process. So some of it is, is placed by us, but then, you know, some of it is placed, you know, by our music editor and some of it is Tim recomposing. Mm-hmm. And, and what about the songs? Like say, for instance, if you got uh, an action sequence that's cut, to a, a particular song that uh, Alexandra Petsavas may have chosen, it, would you work that in the offline stage or or De- have- definitely working in the offline stage? We try to have all of that stuff. We even try to have all of the ideas about the music sort of locked down in the offline stage. So we actually most a lot of the the, the stuff uh, that takes most of our time is, is music stuff uh, in the in the as, as we're cutting. Yeah, and what Alex does is she'll give us compilation CDs. Of songs that she thinks might be good for the show, or, or you know, so, songs that she can license, or that might be appropriate, and then we'll sort of, as we come up to a scene, we'll sort of go through those compilations and pick a song we think works for those sequences. Or sometimes we'll have an idea for a sequence, but we don't have a song, and so we'll send her the sequence. She'll look at it and she'll pitch us stuff hmm. um, that could go there. So it kind of goes back and forth. And then you know, sometimes Josh watches the cut and he has a song that he's picked out for it, and and we go that way. Yeah. It's uh, it's kind of a mixture, you know. As an editor, you kind of hope that you you can find that song, put it in there that everybody loves, and that it never gets discussed again. But you yeah, know, uh, you, you sort of want to be able to be the person that picks it. But you know what? It 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 it, it comes from all directions, and it, it actually really makes it a better product. If, yeah, if everyone sort of has input. Yeah. Now, what is what is the ratio between um, how much footage you have versus the the show? Is it like twenty to one? Is it fifty to one? Like how many hours worth of footage would you be dealing with on a typical show? Oh, that's a that's a good question. And I would, you know, I would guess it's probably twenty to one, um, maybe, you know. But that's actually a question I would ask my assistant editor, uh, Ben Thompson. He would know. Uh, but I haven't, I haven't. But I would guess, yeah, we'd, I would guess we'd get about probably somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty hours of dailies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, somewhere fifteen to twenty for an episode that's going to be an hour. Yeah. That's pretty manageable. Yeah. Yeah. It's not too bad. I mean, the action stuff definitely takes up a lot more. Yeah. You know, uh, it takes a lot more footage to get a, you know, a pretty quick action sequence. And shooting with multiple cameras. and Yeah, we're often shooting with two cameras, um, sometimes three. 
even in dialogue scenes, they'll shoot with two cameras a lot of the time. Mm. So, cool. Well, um, that'll wrap up the the Chuck sort of questions, and mm-hmm. I guess where we'll go next is where you're going to go next. So where do you see yourself in five years? What, what are your aspirations for what you want to do? Hopefully, a lot more of the same, uh, and hopefully, I'd, I'd like to you know get into directing, you know, uh, back into directing uh, television. And, uh, you know, I'd love to have a career sort of like what Norman Buckley has on the show where, where he goes, goes back and forth between editing and directing. There's, I, I enjoy both aspects of production, so it'd be nice to, you know, find a way to keep that up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you have any other projects or charities that, that you'd like us to plug for you? I, I did, uh, between this season of, of Chuck, which is season three and season two, I worked on America's Next Top Model season 13. Um, so I still go back to that show occasionally uh, oh, wow. uh, when we're on hiatus from Chuck. So uh, I guess uh, you could see some of my reality television directing on uh, America's Next Top Model season 13. Cool. Yeah. Well, that's all I have for you, and I'm really thankful that you took the time. I know you've got a couple of new twins, so you're a pretty busy man in addition to your uh, TV responsibilities. So uh, really, really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks. Yes, there's a few months of no sleep ahead of me. So, yeah. I should manage. But thank you so much for uh, for talking to me. Great. All right. Good luck. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye-bye. And we're back. And it was so great to finally hear Kevin's perspective. It is It is interesting, even though they all do a very similar job, to hear all of them have a different path into uh, what they do. And um, Kevin, especially the fact that he uh, was a director for America's Top Model, it's interesting to hear his crossover story between um, that and, and now doing Chuck. Yeah, what a uh, thing to have on your resume leading into Chuck, huh? <laughs> Speaking of behind-the-scenes drama on that one, <laughs> yeah. prepared him for on-camera drama with Chuck, I think. So we're going to move on to our episode discussion for Chuck versus the final exam episode 11 of season three i kept doing this little freudian slip where i was calling it chuck versus the first kill <laughs> <laughs> but even though i knew that in the end he, he didn't actually kill hunter perry uh-huh. i kept doing that and boy you know it was really throwing people off in the forums and, and on the site so i'm sorry about that you guys <laughs> for yeah. some reason that's just what kept coming out of my fingers when i was typing it um but this was this was an interesting. It was dark. It was yeah. pretty dark. Um, we did have some lighthearted moments with uh, Chuck the Naked Spy. Oh my <laughs> <And> goodness! <laughs> oh my gosh! Bless Bless Zachary's heart. Oh he, yeah. You know he wanted to be doing more stunts, but I don't yeah. know if that's what he had in mind. <laughs> yeah. Okay, you know what cracked me up about that scene was that they go through all this. Chuck goes through all this you know, fight scene before that, they're all wearing nothing but towels and not one of them lost a single towel. <laughs> yeah. And here's Chuck standing on a ledge. All of a sudden, whoopsie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, there, there was a lot of fun in it. Yeah. I mean, especially if you watch it again, um, I, I loved the uh, the way he was following behind that very tiny housekeeper <laughs> and he and he's following behind her, but she's like the tiniest woman uh-huh. And and the way he he snuck into the bathroom and then pretended that he was coming out of the bathroom was really, really clever. Mm-hmm. How smooth was that? Yeah, it was pretty smooth. He had several smooth moves. I mm-hmm. mean, that that bird call wasn't fooling anybody, but you know, <laughs> it, it, in a pinch, he was able to come up with something. Yeah, <laughs> make sure that he got the visual. Yeah. Um the the credit card thing. 
we talked about that a little bit earlier that it was amusing that he was flustered by that by having to put a hundred dollars on his on his credit card to get into the spa mm-hmm. um, and I, you know I, it's been that right yeah yeah. As I was watching that whole scene, I couldn't help but think to myself, there's no better way for Chuck to go undercover than to just be Chuck. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. nobody undercover. ever believes he's the spy. Right. Yeah. Who would yeah. ever think, looking, watching that scene, that's what came through in my head. You know, mm-hmm. no one would ever look at that guy and say, a spy. Yeah. <laughs> right there, a spy. What about that gleeful kind of little boy lighting up of his face? when Beckman's outlining what his new cover is going to be once he's a spy. Oh, <laughs> he's yeah. Based at Rome, and he's a billionaire playboy. And yeah. he's like, oh. And then he finds out that Sarah's not going with him. Mm. She will be off on a separate assignment. And, you know, that boy, that took the air out of that balloon. But that, but the whole time Beckman's saying that, I'm like, really? That's going to be his first solo assignment? <laughs> is this flashy italian playboy uh-huh. <laughs> oh and uh what and and that really sets up the the dilemma for the episode which was a very interesting no win situation people have compared it to what the kobayashi maru uh-huh. where you Told just ya. you just Told can't ya. win yep yeah. for all the uh star trek fans <laughs> which is probably everybody who watches chuck I'm yeah guessing. yeah <laughs> i just want credit because i believe it was two episodes ago that i said yeah this was you a did. good time for Kobayashi and Maru. Yes, yeah. you did. There. Yeah. So, uh, so of course, the lose lose situation is that uh, if he passes the test, then we know that that Sarah won't want a relationship with him. But if he doesn't pass the test, she can't. <sighs> Poor Chuck. Yeah. It always boils down to Sarah, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And how about the ending there when she thinks that he has? killed this guy mm-hmm. and the guilt that she's oh, she's, she's re-experiencing her own red test and clearly traumatized by it still mm-hmm. five years later um and the 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 guilt that she's feeling for having put check through that she thinks is just whew, yeah. yeah props to yvonne that was yeah a, that was a heartbreaking scene yeah and i've i've got to wonder how long it's going to take for him to tell her is he gonna do it or is casey the chuck and sarah shipper gonna do it i don't know i don't know i don't know i i suspect that we will see her find this out well i know we will by the end of the 13th episode but Mm -hmm. i I think it might be next week i'm not positive yeah Uh, that's pure speculation speak yeah speaking of casey Mm -hmm. um This was uh, a difficult episode to watch to see Casey being um a civilian. I don't know. Yeah, he he's a civilian now, being mm-hmm. civilianized. Um it was kind of funny, but kind of I don't know. I felt uncomfortable watching it. I felt uncomfortable for him. Yeah. Just a different way to That's just what I was bringing to it. I didn't like that because I like Casey so much and I like his strength and I like his um, his uh, resolve and his uh, loyalty and dedication. So to see all that gone and to see him in this just so out of place, a, a square peg in a round hole, mm-hmm. so to speak, was uncomfortable. But that's just, please, that's my own, what I took out of that. So. I think we were supposed to feel badly for him. Yeah, he was out of his element. Yeah. And, and, and they they made... 
I, I thought one really cool part of it was when Lester was talking about how um, he clings to this corporate culture, but he has to live by its rules, and its rules are not things that he would like. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of like with Casey, he can't live even the same way as he did in the military in this corporate world because it's just got completely different rules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this time he needs that job. Yeah. You know, previously when Jeff and Lester were being Jeff and Lester, you know, he could smash their heads in and not really worry about the consequences, but he's so uncertain right now about what he's going to do now that he's no longer with the the military, with the government in any capacity. Um, I, I think what we saw there was a little bit of a emasculation seems too harsh for what was going on, but to a degree, yeah. you know, seeing him just stripped of, of purpose and, and determination and um, that kind of devil may care attitude that we've come to love about that, that recklessness that we've come yeah. to love about Casey, mm-hmm. um, you know, and to see him having to actually care about a job at the buy more. that was a little painful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. As was the tuna roni. So thanks for that, Jeff. Oh, yeah. Gee. Yeah. I you do. Know. I do have to say that the, um, as much as I love Subway for helping bring our favorite show back, um, I did think they took the Subway product placement a little bit too far. It wasn't as jarring for me as I think it was for some others, but yeah, it was a little. It was a little much. It was a little over the top. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. It was a little over the top. And I, I think it wasn't, it wasn't so much how much, or it wasn't them being there. I, I guess it just wasn't as fun as I would have liked. Like mm-hmm. before when it's been fun, I've loved yeah. it. But it just, it felt a little strained maybe. Like in Beard, where it just made sense for Morgan to talk about going and getting meatball subs. Yeah. Yeah. But for them to have their their power meeting at Subway, I don't know. In a way it made sense, but mm-hmm. it was a little, a little bit off. Yeah. So, but I'll forgive him. Yeah. Yeah. This time. I really didn't like Jeff and Lester in this episode. I got to tell you, mm. I'm sorry to all the Jeff and Lester fans. I love the actors. I adore them. I did not like them in this episode. They were so annoying. I, mm. they were like preening little peacocks. They, you know, they immediately hone in on someone's weakness. Mm-hmm. And in you this know? case, they saw, they could tell that Casey was not going to be able to come after them like he would have in the past. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously they don't know why, but I think they sense that something has changed and they went after it. And it was Yeah. Another- and you know what what else bothered me too is I, I'm watching those two and I'm thinking, who would ever allow this to go on in their company and not fire these two guys? <laughs> How are they still working at this place? I think yeah. they have compromising pictures of Big Mike. That is the only <laughs> conclusion I can come to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it must be that's gotta be it <laughs> they gotta yeah. have something on them yeah especially since we never actually see them doing their job no <laughs> like with the other other guys you see them every once in a while doing their job but with these two guys you never see them doing anything they're playing laser tag and knocking yeah. over customers right? yeah. and do they get in trouble for that not really nope. mm-hmm. no that was uh probably the only really annoying thing that i didn't like about this episode Mm -hmm. i did like that chuck brought 
back uh, sizzling shrimp. Yes. Yeah. Or actually, that whole stakeout scene was it, it like cute. Oh, it was it was so cute, and it was a shame that it got interrupted because it would have been nice to see it play out just a little bit more. But mm-hmm. um, it, I mean, everything from the uh, that little iPod with the Hall and Oates music. <laughs> That's what I was singing to Liz earlier. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot of fun. It was cute, though. I found myself wishing that I had a suitcase, a briefcase filled with things like that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, just a, a couple of totally random thoughts. The squeal that uh, that Lester did when he was down on the floor. <laughs> Like, what on earth was that? That was like a pig squeal or something. Where did that come from? Oh, but it was, I was hilarious. And, um, and when Chuck gave the gift to Casey and, oh, and he said, you know, a, it's a felony, a, thought, a very a thoughtful, thoughtful felony. <laughs> that was pretty cute, too. Yeah. It was I, nice to see Chuck returning some of that affection to Casey because we've, we've seen Casey being abnormally affectionate towards mm-hmm. Chuck recently. So it was nice to see that that goes both ways, even if it is in the form of a felony. <laughs> <laughs> so, at least it wasn't a Jeff-type felony, because yeah. you know that one you, you don't want to see. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. But. So anyway, so we leave this episode with um, Sarah and with General Beckman and Shaw thinking that Chuck is the one who killed Hunter. Right, and he's received his uh, assignment now to go mm-hmm. to Rome, and he. Uh, it looks like Sarah is getting ready to head off to D.C. Shots come to pick her up, and she's got her bags packed. Um, and Chuck's on his way, so so presumably the entire next episode might be in D.C. Could be, mm-hmm. although isn't Chuck supposed to be going to Rome? Well, no, he he's going to he's got to go, go to D.C. Right for his um, induction. 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 That's right. Uh, and right. to get his assignment, so um, right. so presumably the whole episode will take place in D.C. Yeah, we'll see if they actually get there. Mm-hmm. They have a a tendency to say they're going places and then never end up there. But yeah, we should talk about the flashback. Sarah discussing her red test. Mm-hmm. Um, that was uh, a flashback to a younger, longer-haired Sarah. <laughs> yeah. I like that that's about the only way they can make her look younger with yeah. her hair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, no braces but... again. No. <laughs> Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, there's been some debate about the timeline because we know that she and Bryce were partners uh, in 2005. And then she was assigned to check in 2007. Mm-hmm. So some people have been saying, well, you know, when when was this red test? Um, it was about five years ago is our best guess of the timeline there. Um, cause she was also in the secret service for a little while and we assume that she went to college. Um, we've never been told that for certain, but I think it's a pretty reasonable assumption that she had at least some higher education prior to being, um, going into the secret service. But well, mind you, when, uh, when Graham, um, recruits her. Like he recruits her pretty much as a girl, right? Yeah, out of high school. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yep. um, now, obviously, they they have education in the military, but uh, mm-hmm. who knows? It was probably all through through them. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, but if it took two and a half years for Chuck to get to the point where he was ready for his red test, 
mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say, but, um, and the only reason I'm really bringing that up is because it is important for later developments. So, um, but just to watch her kind of fall apart as she's remembering that was, mm-hmm. that was, um, a really good scene from, from Yvonne. Mm-hmm. Um, and Shaw she... clearly didn't get it, but. Oh, Shaw was totally insensitive to it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, much in the yeah. way, it's, it, in all fairness, in, in the same way that Casey might have been insensitive mm-hmm. to it. Like, just, we do that to serve our country. Right. But right. the thing is, Casey's not set up as a love interest for Sarah. No. You know, so we expect a little more from Shaw. And, and you know, and her response was to, you know, stand up and walk away. So, mm-hmm. uh, um, she's dealing with stuff. She's dealing with some hardcore history. Yeah, pain. So. Oh, and and I do think it's worth mentioning that um, the end of the stakeout scene, I really got the sense that she is open to Chuck. Now, yeah. I obviously there's there's that changing at the end when she sees him apparently kill this guy, mm-hmm. but I, I I don't get any sort of um spark between her and Shaw I do yeah. get spark with with Chuck it was very telling that he asked her point blank if she loved Chuck yeah uh and has anybody actually asked her that point blank do you love him I don't think anybody ever has I don't think so and her response was no not anymore mm-hmm. which is, is the closest she's ever come to saying out loud that she loves Chuck yeah she's the not anymore part um, and you know, she, she thinks he's no longer the Chuck that she loves. Mm-hmm. So, so she's she saying finds that no, she doesn't. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <Because laughs> the show is called Chuck. Yeah. <laughs> and Sarah's one of the leads. Yeah. That's right. It's in the script. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good stuff to come. Yep. There is some good stuff coming up. Yeah. Which we'll talk about more in the spoiler section. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. Which, uh, so I think we can, we've pretty much talked about everything uh, between the listener emails and, and between, um, this discussion. We, I don't think there's much else to say. Yeah. So good job. Good job, Zev Burrow, who also wrote, here's another prop, the Chuck comic book. Um, multi talented. Yeah. Which, uh, you can get through Chuck is on, on, our website, I think it's $13.59. Many pages inside. <laughs> Many pages inside? <laughs> <laughs> There's, I, I, I'm loving these props. Yeah, I <laughs> I'm just find, finding any way to throw them in. Here's the Chuck Season 1 Blu-ray. I don't know what context that is, It's, but it, here it is. It's cool. I have a letter opener. <laughs> <laughs> Liz, do you have any props? I have nothing. I have my fingers. <laughs> thumbs up. Two thumbs up. <laughs> cool. Okay. All right. Well, let's talk about our sponsors. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got moviemorons.com. It's a podcast about film, all things film. Uh, and they're, they're smarter than they look. So feel free to stop by and check out moviemorons.com. Listen to their episodes. And also SyrianYunkies.de, the largest TV fan site in Germany. They've got the scoop on literally hundreds of shows. 
So if you're a fan of television and you speak German or at least read German, stop by SyrianJunkies.de. And many thanks to them for sponsoring Chuck versus the podcast. Mm-hmm. And speaking about sponsoring Chuck versus the podcast, you can go to chuckpodcast.blip.tv to see all of our episodes. And uh, actually, I'm really encouraged to hear we've gotten a number of emails from people who have told us that they've just recently discovered the podcast. And, and I think it's actually largely because of, of uh, sites like Blip, where somebody might be checking something else out and see ours and... And that's really cool. And if you're just discovering the podcast or if if you've discovered it late, there's lots of older episodes with tons and tons of interviews with the Chuck cast, writers, editors, directors that uh, that are very interesting and contemporary. So uh, I urge you to check out previous episodes. That's right. (laughs) I'm waking up. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Two thumbs up. Oh, oh, anyway, if you have any comments or questions, of course, we welcome all of them. We love to hear from all of you, and we'll try and get them on the air for you, too, as well. So um, just send those on over to mail at chuckpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. So that's all we have for non-spoilery stuff, but we'll be back next week discussing Chuck versus the, what is it next American week? hero. Versus the American Hero and I actually I showed my prop in the spoiler section, so I got I got to show it in the non spoiler <laughs> section. Wait, wait, let me get my letter opener again. Uh, <laughs> so tune in to the podcast next week when we discuss Chuck versus the American Hero. I of course am a huge fan. I have the limited edition boxed set with cape inside. An instruction book. Very, very hey, cool. Hey, hey, Liz, let's try something. Gray, do you have a prop for Sesame Street? No, I don't. <laughs> Sorry. Ah, I win. <laughs> I um, Do I have anything for my daughter's? Oh, my <laughs> God. That, would, that would be a fun thing. If you have something that you, uh, yeah, a, a reference that you want to see if Gray has a there prop for, feel free to email. <laughs> at checkpodcast.com or leave a comment. Yeah. Send your prop, props to Gray. <laughs> <That's right>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so that's all we have for non-spoilery stuff. And if you want, you can turn off the podcast not to hear the advanced news. But otherwise, see you next time. Ciao. Bye. And we're back. We are starting out our spoiler section with the official synopsis for episode 313, which was originally going to be the season finale. But of course, now it's sort of uh, the end of the first overreaching uh, arc. It's called Chuck versus the other guy. Uh, Chuck questions Shaw's emotional well-being. Brandon Routh guest stars. Uh, Chuck, Sarah and Shaw reunite to find the ring operative behind the death of Shaw's wife. Sarah has faith that Shaw is ready for the mission, but Chuck is worried that his emotion about his emotional stability. Meanwhile, Morgan considers leaving the Bymore. Adam Baldwin, Scott Krinsky, Vixa High, and Mark Christopher Lawrence also star. So it looks like this is going to be an episode where we get most of the cast back. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we're going to see Ellie and Awesome, but we'll be getting most of the cast back. And uh, Shaw, emotional stability in question. Interesting. Yes, indeed. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we can move on to discussing the season finale, which there's been a lot of discussion about that. 
Uh, they've actually wrapped shooting the finale very interestingly. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's still a couple of months away, but uh, Osiello has some scoop for us. I think it's, the correct term is scoobage. Mm -hmm. uh, for us on a dictionary. Yep, on a very important part of the finale that defies description. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. And if you haven't seen it, here they are. Uh, they are pictures from the very first ever Jeffster music video. Um, my eyes, my eyes. <laughs> yeah. And which uh, apparently is uh, also an important part of the finale per Us Yellow. It's the worst music video of all time, declares executive producer Josh Schwartz, who declines to reveal the title of the song. He does, however, offer these two clues. The track was once featured in a horror movie, and it ties into the episode's big climax. The way the original song was used in the movie is, is the way we're using it here, hints Schwartz. Adds fellow executive producer Chris Fedak, the song narrates the action. So if we can figure that out, let's throw out the gauntlet here. Let's let's figure out what that song is, and then you're going to get some clues on what happens in the finale. And so hey, please submit them to by email to the podcast. We'd love to, to read your clues on the air. Mm -hmm. I submit Time Warp from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> well, actually, um, Schwartz went on Twitter later on and said that he was misquoted, that it was actually a Western, not a horror. Oh, yeah. I don't know what the song is from. Yeah, I need to fix that on the website. Wow. But uh, yeah, that makes a big difference, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Now I'm thinking Blazing Saddles. That's what <laughs> a lot of people have said, something from Blazing Saddles. I have not seen that film. So, mm -hmm. no, no thankfully, sure thankfully, I have not seen the whole thing, but I have been subject to some bits and pieces of it. Mm -hmm. Is it a bad movie? I thought it was pretty funny. You know, it, it depends like on who you talk to. If you talk to my dad and my husband, it's the greatest movie ever made. Uh, <laughs> okay. It's kind of like one of those Tropic Thunder kind of movies where it's, a, uh, it's yeah. totally a guy thing. Yeah. 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 I think okay. so. It wasn't my thing. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, so. I'm I'm curious. Yeah, send in your your uh, suggestions for what the song could be. Yeah. Well, speaking of Oziello, it's the battle of the entertainment bloggers when EW's Oziello and E's Kristen break out um, the Chuck season finale scoop. It's always fun to see the two of them go head to head. Who can get out there first? So in addition to the world premiere of the wor of the worst music video ever, Aziello and Kristen report that we will also see a significant death, a childhood flashback with Chuck, Ellie, and Papa Bartowski, um, two major twists, a loyal a loyalty flip, hmm. uh, Big Mike getting all romantic with a Subway sandwich, um, the return of Casey's Crown Vic and Chuck wearing a mustache. So, does this mean that the Crown Vic is going to be the new Bryce? In other words, will it be resurrected only to be killed off again? <laughs> <laughs> I hope not, because the death of that car once was enough for me. <laughs> uh -huh. And please, please, please let the Big Mike Subway sandwich connection be something like he he brings he brings Morgan's mom a sandwich with a ring tucked inside of it or something like that. Mm -hmm. Please, I can see that. Yeah, I'm really I'm really hoping that the show's not going to go you know there. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> that would that's a disturbing image. Yeah. yeah, but the Crown Vic, yay! 
Yeah. I cannot imagine how we're going to see that. <laughs> Didn't it get blown to smithereens? Yeah. yeah. And I, obviously everybody's theory is that the childhood flashback is going to be involving Mama Bartoski and that that's going to be something playing into the finale. Um, and two major twists. Oh, boy. And that loyalty flip. Oh, my goodness. Who could that be? Yeah. Wow. Ah. Loyalty flip. There's going to be so many things in play at that point. I honestly, I don't know. I can't predict mm-hmm. who it's going to be. I, I could see it be going several different ways at this point. A lot can happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So. So that's all we got for this week. Yep. That's it. Yep. So thanks for listening and or watching. Yes. And we will see you next time after Chuck versus the American hero. Mm-hmm. Two thumbs up. See you yeah. later, Chuck. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye.